How many of y'all didn't eat dinner last night because you ate so much candy? This guy. I, didn't, I was like, I'm good. I just ate so much candy. Man, I hope you guys had a, a great time with your, your family last night. We sure had a good time in our neighborhood and seeing tons of kids running around. and um, It was awesome. Well, thanks for being here uh, this morning. Thank you. We've talked about it already, but thank you all, to all of you who are online with us. Uh, we know that many of you, many of our church members can't come. And we know that uh, there's lots of people checking out our church, maybe for the very first time. So thanks for being a part of our worship service. You'll see on the screen right behind me, there's a way for you to follow along with today's message. And you can, uh, there's a digital outline. You can use the camera on your phone um, to just scan that QR code. um, Or you can go to our our app or um, online to our website. And you can can find the notes there and follow along um, with today's message. Well, today we're continuing our final, and our final sermon on politics. Um, so, you know, some of y'all are like, yes, yeah, awesome, that's great. But uh, y'all probably thought I was crazy when we started talking about how we're going to do that. And we're going to go through politics. But uh, man, it's been, it's been a blessing just uh, searching scripture and being able to share um, what God's word has to say about um, our pol- political season we're in right now. And so to recap a little bit, two weeks ago, we talked about uh, how government... Um, essentially is good, whether it is a, what we can consider a good, good government or a, a bad government, it's good because God uses it regardless of where it is um, for his glory. And he uses government as a, as a way for the gospel to spread. Governments create an environment of stability as a canvas for the gospel to go forth. And so we talked about that our, our first week. And so we looked at what, what is our response to that? And our response is that we would submit to government. So we talked about what that looks like, but also to pray for our government. So we spent time praying um, for our political leaders and for the future of, of our country. And I really appreciate uh, the time we got to share um, and spend together two weeks ago. Well, last week, we moved into a, a sermon on how we are uh, Christian citizens. And as a citizen um, we are of the United States, we, we have certain responsibilities, but also we are citizens of heaven, and so our ultimate allegiance is to God and the things of Scripture. And so we looked at what is our response to that, and we looked at a story where Jesus had a coin, and he said, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And we look at the coin, the coin has the image of Caesar, and so we looked at uh, what it looks like for us as citizens here to give back to our government. And so we talked about voting. We talked about being politically active and a part of our culture. We talked about what that looks like as a Christian to do that. But also, Jesus says not only to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but he says to give to God what is God's. And we bear the image of God. And so we are supposed to give ourselves fully to the Lord. And we looked at what that entails. Well, I don't know about you, and I'll just talk to the guys in this room, but um, sometimes I, am, I mess up at, at home, okay? Your pastor messes up every day at home pretty much, right, Corbin? Yep. So, um, man, sometimes my wife will start having a conversation with me, and I am busy doing other, something else, like my mind is, is somewhere else, and usually it's because I'm on my phone or I'm watching sports on TV or something, and my wife will begin to have a conversation where she is making a lot of statements and I've learned the skill, right, guys? They're just going, mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm. Just every once in a while, you know, just like I'm following along the conversation. I'm really not. And it's great. I mean, I've got it all covered until she asks a question, right? Like, what do you think about that? And I'm like, I, 
uh, yeah, <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't even know what we're talking about. And so I have to confess and say, uh, I'm sorry, honey. Um, can you repeat what you were talking about? And it's not good. You guys know what I'm talking about. When that, that, is, that is not a good way of doing it. Well, you know, that's because sometimes I, I don't know what, we're, what I'm talking about. And sometimes I don't know how to communicate what I'm trying to say. And I think that's a good picture of politics today. That a lot of times we don't know really what we're talking about. We have passions and we're, we, we have these beliefs and we're, we hold those strongly, but really we don't know how, uh, we don't know really how to communicate that either. And so today we're going to look at about a couple of maybe some main topics, some big things that would be like hot button issues, hot topics for today. And maybe we don't know really how to communicate those very well. Pew Research Center has the top 10 political hot topics um, for the election for this year. And I'd like to just uh, list them off to you, starting from 10 going down to, to one. Here they are. Abortion, climate change, immigration, race and ethnic inequality, gun policies, foreign policy, violent crime, Supreme Court appointments, coronavirus, healthcare stuff, right? And number one is the economy. Those are hot topics. And the question I have for us today is, how do we respond to those? How do we talk about those in a God-honoring way? You know, I'm, I'm not here to, to change your vote, and I don't think uh, I will. I don't think that's my calling. But I believe that God's word has a message for us today on how we do politics. I believe there is a better way. So the title for today's message is A Better Way. A better way for you and I to do politics. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 8. We'll be in there for just, uh, for just a minute. But in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to <clears throat> these Jewish people who have become believers in Christ. And he says something in verse 32. He says, this is a famous verse, right? You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He says, you'll know this thing called truth, this capital T truth. In today's culture, there's a whole lot of truth out there. People have their own truth today. It's, it's kind of like whatever you believe, if you believe it strong enough or you can argue it well enough, then it is truth to you. But the reality is there is one capital T truth. And Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will create freedom in your life. Now for me, the question is, where does truth come from? And if you go back just one verse... Just one verse to verse 31, we find where real truth comes from. He says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And then he goes on and says, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So here in this verse, we see, we see that there is the word of God. And when you abide in it, you listen to it and you do what it says, then you become a disciple of Christ. You become a true follower of Christ. And when that happens then you know truth. You begin to live it out, and that produces free freedom in our lives. So it's a really important passage for us to kind of maybe just sit on for a moment because I think it speaks a lot about politics. It talks about this, this better way. And when it comes to politics, I think we see, number one today, that Christians must stand on truth. You and I as believers in Christ, we must stand on truth. Now, look at those, these 10 
uh, hot topics, these 10 things that, man, you're asking, what does God's word have to say about those things? We don't have time to go into all of those today, but, man, I just want to maybe hit on one of those. If we're supposed to stand on truth, then when it comes to these topics, do we just base what we, we believe on our opinion or do we base our belief on God's word? So let's look at just one of these. Let's pick one. How about abortion? What does God's word have to say about abortion? As Christians, what stance should we take politically? So you have pro-choice, you have pro-life, you have the rights of the baby, you have the rights of the mother. Like, how do, you, how do we as Christians, how do we navigate this hot topic? That's a tough one. It's a tough topic because people are passionate about both sides. Let's look at scripture. Clearly, the Bible says that there is life in the womb. If you look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, God is speaking to Jeremiah, and he says this. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Psalm 139, famous passage, starting verse 13, the psalmist writes and says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together where? In my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, get this, they saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. What a beautiful passage of scripture that's clearly saying that before you were born, before you were ever created, God knew you. God knew you. Furthermore, if you go to <clears throat> Exodus, we see that God's law considers it murder to kill an unborn baby. It's a tough one. Exodus 21, starting verse 22, it says, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, before their, but, but there is no harm, then the one who hit her shall surely be fined. There's just a, a monetary penalty. As the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. Then it says, but if there is harm to the baby, then you shall pay life for life. Very clearly it's saying that there is life in the womb. And a fetus or a baby in the womb is a life. And up here, I'm not arguing against women's rights, not at all. But I think as Christians, we can argue for the baby's rights. And I think even more than that, we can argue for our responsibility. We've really lost our way. We've lost our way as a country. We've taken our personal and our group responsibility to the unborn. So, you know, these are hot topics, and we don't have time to go through all of them, but just just one of them kind of can help us to see that, you know what, when it comes to having a, an opinion on these hot topics, maybe we should go to God's word instead of basing it on what we believe. Because the, the reality is it doesn't really matter if you have an R next to your name or a D next to your name. The truth is for Christians, we should care more about having a big giant C for being a Christian right next to our name. We should go to God's word to help influence our opinions and beliefs. It's kind of like Jesus, what he talks about in Matthew chapter 7, about, about standing on rock or standing on sand. 
And it's a good thing that our, our stage right up here isn't made out of sand, right? I mean, if it was made out of sand, all the steps would just crumble. It'd be, be awful. The band would be just running around. It'd be, it'd be all weird. We'd be falling. And it, it would just be a mess. And if this building were, were built on sand, things would be cracking and falling. It'd just be a, a giant mess. You know that if you go to New Orleans, it's a crazy, crazy place that they would build this big city below sea level right next to the ocean, which is really, really weird why they would do that. But you know that every single building in New Orleans is not really built on the soil, it's built on the bedrock. And the way they get down to the bedrock is they drive these giant pillars down um, into the ground. These big, it looks like big telephone poles, and they drive them way down to the bedrock. And then they just put them all over the place where the building's going to be. And then they put the building, they put that on, that's the foundation for the building, not on the sand, but on the rock. And Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 7. Verse 24, here's what he says. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them well, uh, does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Let me stop there. Let's look back there. He says, everyone who does what? Hears these words and then does them, right? He says, whoever hears God's word but also does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And he says, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. Sounds a lot like our political climate today, right? But it did not fall because it had, it had been founded on the rock. And then he switches and says, here's the other illustration. He says, and everyone who hears these words of mine, hears these words, but does not do them, will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Here is the point. As Christians, we must stand on truth. When we have political opinions and political leanings and beliefs, it better not be based on just what we want it to be. It better be based on God's word. Amen? But here's the reality. That's easy. Honestly, that's easy. We can go to God's word, and I encourage you as, you, as you think about all these other hot topics, we could talk about a lot of different ones. We don't have time today to do that. But as you think about those things, it's easy to go to God's word and say, God, what do you have in store for me? What are you saying on this topic? And I believe God's word speaks to all of these topics, all these hot topics that are politically motivated today. But the problem is we don't know how to communicate our beliefs. I think communication is the key to politics. And I'm not up here saying, here's how you argue, because arguments don't do anything, right? When was the last time you had an argument with someone and it changed their mind? Right? It, it doesn't happen. And politically, man, it, it's crazy. It's crazy, all the arguments that are, that are going on around here. And I think it's because people, we just don't know how to communicate effectively what we believe. Which brings me to number two for today. It's this, that Christians must mimic the master. The master being Jesus. He is the ultimate example for us. So what it looks like to have a conversation with someone, to be able to communicate truth to someone. Because here's the deal. Jesus, he cares more about people than winning the argument. He cares more about the loss than being right. You know, in the, in the gospels, Jesus, uh, people approached him all the time. And we don't know all the stories and all the interactions with people, but Jesus was asked 183 questions in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you know what he did with those questions? He turned around and asked 307 questions of his own. Crazy. 
Jesus being the, the one who knows truth better than anybody, right? The one that's able to communicate truth better than anybody. Instead of just telling people how it is, oftentimes he would turn around and say, or and ask a question. Why did he do that? He did that because he cares about people. He wanted to sit down and listen to them and be able to, to find common ground with them and be able to share truth with them. But that's not how we do it, right? When we ask questions, we ask questions differently. We ask questions for answers. But Jesus asked questions for awareness. We ask questions for information, but Jesus asked questions for transformation. That's what Jesus did. One of the best, the greatest stories or examples of that is Jesus in John chapter 3. You can turn there if you want to. I'm not going to read all of it, but I wanted to just kind of paraphrase it in, in Clayton's version. But there's a story with, with Jesus and this, this guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee, man. He is, we always, we always uh, you know, badmouth the Pharisees up here because they, they didn't do the things that God wanted them to do. And they were arrogant and, and uh, they did all sorts of bad stuff. But, but Nicodemus was one of these guys, but he was really trying hard to follow after God. And Jesus shows up to Jerusalem probably for the very first time in his ministry. And he goes and cleanses the temple. It's a crazy story. And, man, it was front news uh, on, on the paper the next day. Uh, everybody knew what was happening. And Jesus and his disciples, they go outside of Jerusalem, and they go and they camp out somewhere, probably right outside of town. And Nicodemus, in the middle of the night, he makes his way and finds where Jesus camped out. You can imagine he probably went to his disciples and said to Jesus' disciples, hey, can I, can I meet with Jesus? And Jesus went to, or the disciples went to Jesus and said, hey, there's this Pharisee guy, his name's Nicodemus, he wants to meet with you. And Jesus says, all right, I'll meet with him. So in the middle of the night, Jesus has this, has this secret meeting with Nicodemus. And it's really telling about how Jesus cared about people in this story. So let's take a look at it real quick. So in John chapter 3, the story is verses 1 through 16, but I'll, I'll just paraphrase it with, for you. Here's what it says. Nicodemus went to, to Jesus and asked Jesus, he says, Jesus, there's something different about you. What, what is it? And Jesus says, Nicodemus, man, your religion, it's not going to save you. you. You've got to be born again. And this is where we, we get this phrase, being born again. And Nicodemus says, what are, you, what are you talking about? Like, how can I be born again physically? That's weird. Like, there's no way that can happen. And Jesus says, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being born again of the Spirit. And Jesus, and Nicodemus says, I, I don't understand what you're talking about. Like, like explain that to me. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you're, you're a smart person. You're a religious person. How, and he asks this question, how do you not understand? And Nicodemus says, well, I know scripture. I, I know the law. Man, I, I know all of it. I, I still don't understand. And Jesus says, okay, that's some common ground that, that you and I have together. So let's talk about scripture. And he says this. He, he asks this question. Nicodemus, did you not know that the scriptures are talking about me? And Nicodemus says, no, I don't understand. What, what do you mean? And then we get John 3.16. That's how John 3.16 happened. And Jesus says, God loves you, Nicodemus. And he loves you so much that he sent me to save you. You know, Jesus could have just 
hit Nicodemus over the head with the truth at the very beginning, right? You could have had this conversation. They come, in, come together at night, and Nicodemus asks a question, and Jesus says, John 3.16, right? But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus wanted to have a conversation with Nicodemus. Why? Because he cared about him. He cared so much about Nicodemus. You know, I think for us in our country, I think we've kind of lost our way. We've lost our way. We don't have conversations anymore. We've lost the key to politics, which is the conversation. I mean, you can think about it. Politicians today, they're more divided than they've ever been. They're in two different camps. And honestly, they don't talk to each other. And if they do ever get on TV and talk to each other, what happens? Just a big argument, right? They're just yelling at each other. You're like, oh my goodness, I just want to mute it or, or change the channel. It's, it's crazy. And then even mainstream media is just the same way. Man, it's every mainstream media outlet has run further to one side or the other. And so you can turn on, on MSNBC or, or CNN, and it's going to probably be really far, far left, and then you can turn on Fox and some other um, news outlets, and it's going to be far right. There's, there's not a whole lot of going on in the middle, and they're not really talking to each other anymore. You can see it. I mean, if you watch any of the debates, you watch the debate, and you, you form your own opinion, and then if you turned on like a left, left-leaning media outlet, it would say, man, Trump, he just blew it, right? And, and Biden, it was just the, the best... Um, thing that they've ever heard. And then you turn on a right-wing conservative media outlet and it's saying the complete opposite. And you're going, as a citizen, what do I believe? Like, this is crazy. How have we gotten to this place in our politics, in our country, where we have two different political sides and no one's talking to each other anymore? We don't talk to each other anymore. And what's scary for me, um, just thinking as, about, our, about our kids and what's, what's the future look like, is thinking about social media. You probably heard in the news all sorts of stuff about social media and how uh, different different um, accounts are being banned. Or man, you, if you see, if you scroll through your media feed, sometimes you'll you'll see that there's like this little asterisk by uh, things that are being said. They're like, you know, this is not all not all true. And someone I don't know who it is is saying is the arbiter of truth now. And it's scary to think about that even social media, which used to be kind of um, the way of getting around mainstream media, now today it's kind of the same. And even in social media, people are running to two different camps. And it's really, really scary. There's a lot of terrible things that are being said about each other in our country today. We don't talk to each other anymore. So let me ask you in a personal, personal question. When was the last time you sat down with someone who didn't believe the same way you believe politically and you actually had a conversation with them? Or maybe you did that online. How many of y'all would say that you even know someone who doesn't believe the same way? Like, a lot of, we, we just kind of, we're in our own little camps, aren't we? And we've lost our ability to have a conversation. But I believe there's a better way, which brings me to the third point for today. It's this. We need more God-honoring and Christ-mimicking political conversations. So imagine sitting down with someone who, uh, man, maybe you, they, you were having a conversation on social media, and you're like, you know what, let's, let's meet. You invite them to coffee, and you go to the coffee shop, and you sit down with them. Imagine you sat down with them. What would you do? How would you have a God-honoring and Christ-mimicking political conversation? Well, I could give you some opinions of mine, but I think the best thing to do is just mimic what Jesus did, right? 
Let's go back and look at what Jesus did. I got five quick little points here that I think Jesus gives us great, a great example of how we can have these kind of conversations. Number one, we need to find common ground. And that's what Jesus did. He asked questions. He found a common ground with the people that he had, uh, had a relationship with. And so here's, here's what that looks like, right? I mean, instead of sitting down with someone and just telling them what, how, how wrong they are, what if you ask them about their family, right? What if you actually showed that you cared about them? Man, what, what is, where'd you come from? How did you get to this point in your life? Like, what, what, is, what is your family like? What are, what are your hobbies? What are your passions? You begin to just actually have a real conversation with people. I think that's a, a great way to, to start off when it comes to our political conversations, just to find some common ground. Number two, this is just some great word of advice. Don't pour fuel on the fire. And that, that, honestly, when you have political conversations, that's the easiest thing to do is just be real combative. Because most of the time, two people come together and they're on opposing sides. They're going to be very um, hesitant and defensive about what they believe and what they think the other person believes and what they think the other person is going to do and say. And so when you go to have a political conversation with someone, a Christ-honoring political conversation, you're not going into the octagon, okay? You're not going in to, to fight. You're going in to care for them. So don't pour fuel on the fire. You're not a plumber. You're not going in there to fix it, right? That's what a plumber does. You're going in there to be a friend. And honestly, that's what Jesus did. You know how Jesus did it? If you, if you look at all the stories of Jesus uh, having conversations with people, it says a lot of times he looked at them. He made eye contact with people. He cared about them. Another way he cared about them is he called them by name. And so he'd make eye contact with them, and he would, he would actually call them by name. And there's a lot of things going on, a lot of people vying for Jesus' attention and time. And he would look at someone, look them in the eye, and call them by name and have a conversation with them. Don't pour fuel on the fire. The third one, this is one of my, my, my favorite just uh, ways of, of saying that people matter, is this. Mission first, people always. This is, a, this is an incredible statement. I want to put it on my wall somewhere. Mission first, people always. And what that means is that the poli- for, for politics, it means that the policy is important. I mean, we should not just push that aside and say, you know what, I'm just going to have a conversation with someone. I'm not going to speak, speak my mind in truth. No, I mean, it's important. Policy is important. But you know what? People are the priority. That's what it's saying. People are number one. When you're having a political conversation, it's not about saying that you're right. It's about that person. Number four, We need to wrap the truth in love. This is what Jesus did. You know how he did that? He really listened to them. He really listened to them. You can tell if you're doing this right or not by if you're having a conversation with someone, are you really listening to what they have to say or are you thinking about what you're going to say, right? Are you forming your own argument? You're getting prepared for battle and ready while they're saying something or are you actually listening to what they have to say. We need to wrap the truth in love. Our conversations, they need to be cooked in scripture and served on love. And that's what Jesus did. Ephesians 4.15 says, says, says this. We're supposed to speak the truth, okay? Speak the truth, right? But it says in love. Speak the truth in love. And finally, number five is this. We need to be patient. Thank God that he's patient with us, Right? And Jesus, if you look at his interactions with his disciples, he was really patient with these guys. Man, these guys messed up all the time. Man, they were, they were losers a lot. Man, they, they just messed up and they did the wrong thing. And Jesus, he didn't kick them out. He was patient with them. 
and he's willing to, to teach them. And it took time because there's a deal. Change takes time. Change is very difficult for a lot of people. It takes time. Convictions, for a conviction of someone's to change, sometimes it takes contemplation. It takes time for people to think about uh, what they believe, and maybe there's something different out there. So be patient. And if you're thinking about, like, if you have, you have a, a sibling, if you have a, a, a spouse, if you have a, a son or a daughter who maybe they have, they have different political leanings than you, and maybe they're not basing what they believe on God's truth, you know what? You got to be patient with them. You got to be patient with them. And that's what Jesus did. So to sum it up, just kind of a, a simple statement is this. We must communicate convictions with compassion through conversations. A lot of C's right there. But we must communicate convictions with compassion through conversations. That is the call of believers in Christ during this political season. So here's how you can do it. A couple ways. You can do it in the polls, right? By going and voting. If you haven't voted already... Man, Tuesday, go and vote. Go stand in line. Man, everything else is canceled. This is really important. This is the most minimal civic duty that we as Christians have. And one of the best ways that we can um, make sure that Jesus is being represented in our country is to go and vote. So, man, go and vote on Tuesday if you haven't voted already. Man, a lot of of you probably already have voted. Man, it was crazy. At our church, we were voting site, early voting site, and we'll be a voting site on Tuesday. And this place was packed. Our entire parking lot was full, and the lines were hours long um, the last three days. It's been crazy, the amount of people that have voted. So go and vote. You can also do it in public. You can have these kind of conversations in public. And today, usually that's online. We don't go, like, out on the street and start yelling at people, right, having those kind of conversations. But we do that online all the time, right? We go do that uh, on social media feeds. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's, those, are, those are a trap. They just are. Because you can't look at someone in the eye. And, and be able to, to share with them without them. You don't, I'm not sure how they're going to take what, you have to, what you're typing. So I think one of the best ways that we can do that is actually one-on-one with our peers. When was the last time, I'll, I'll ask again, when was the last time you sat down with someone and had a Christ-honoring conversation about politics? There is a better way. Let me encourage you with just one final example. You know, when Jesus brought together dis- the disciples... These guys were, came from all different backgrounds. A lot of them were fishermen. They were, almost all of them were just common guys. But there were two of them that were on completely different political spectrums. One of them was Levi, where he was, he was we know him by Ma, as Matthew. Okay, he write, wrote the first gospel, Matthew, the tax collector. So this guy was a Jew, but he was politically um, opposed to religious uh, Jewish rule. He loved uh, the Roman rule. And he loved it so much that he was willing to, to be a tax collector for the Romans. And he was actually a tax collector in, in and around Capernaum, which is on the Sea of Galilee. And so all these other disciples, a lot of them were fishermen. You know where they paid pay taxes and who they paid taxes to? To Matthew. Kind of crazy to think about. These guys had to go and pay taxes probably um, to, to Matthew. And Jesus calls them and says, come and follow me. Can you imagine what the other disciples are thinking? No, 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 we could pick somebody else, right? Don't, don't pick that guy because we're against that guy. Well, so you have Matthew that comes on and becomes a follower of Jesus. And on the other side, you had this guy named Simon. And we know him as Simon the Zealot. We don't know a whole lot about him, but there were this group of, of people, these hardcore conservative Jewish, um, they, they were these, this group, they were called the, the Zealots. 
And Simon was one of them. You know what they did? One of their jobs was to hide weapons in their, their tunic, in their clothes. And when the Romans were around, there's a big crowd of people, and people shuffling around, and maybe Roman soldiers are trying to go through a crowd. It was their job to go up to the Romans, pull out a knife, and try to stab the Roman soldiers. And then to put the knife away and, and slip back into the crowd. I mean, they were like the terrorists of, of the day. That's what they did. And Jesus sees Simon and says, come, follow me. That's crazy. He brings these two people together. He says, you're going to both be my disciples. That's nuts. Like, Jesus, you could have, I'm not going to, Jesus, you could have picked some other guys, right? Jesus says, no, there, there's a purpose for that. There's a reason for that. And these two guys, you know what they did? They laid down their political beliefs, and they're willing to come together for a new cause. That new cause was Jesus. But can you imagine the conversations they must have had? We don't have them recorded in, in the Gospels, but you know they sat down and they had some conversations about their political leanings. But we do know that they came together. And I believe the only way they came together was by having these Christ-honoring conversations. Because there is a better way. There's a better way, guys. And his name is Jesus. For some of you in this room, we've been talking to, to Christians all day today. For some of you in this room, you don't know who Jesus is. You've never trusted in him as your Lord and Savior. And I'll tell you what, he is the better way. And as in the story, we, we hear about Nicodemus and Jesus talking to him and sharing what it means to, to be born again and to be radically changed and to see the love of God through Christ and his sacrifice. Maybe Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, but he's also talking to you. So we want to give all of you an opportunity. If you haven't trusted in Christ, maybe today is the day that you would do that. So here in just a minute, we're going to have an opportunity as we pray um, for you all to do that. But there is a better way, everybody. In this political season, man, I'm praying. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen in a couple days. And you know what? We probably won't know the, the results in a couple days. But we can pray. We can trust Christ because he's still going to be on his throne no matter what happens. But our responsibility is to love people. And we can do that through how we communicate with them. Would you all stand with me? We have an opportunity to, to respond to how God is challenging us today. So there's lots of different ways you can do that. If you'd like to come down here, this, this altar, these steps are open. If you want to come and talk to me, if you want to come talk to one of our pastors, there's a connection room over there. If you want to come and talk to us about what it means to give your life to, to, to Christ and have him save you from your, from your sins, we'd love to have a, have a conversation with you about that. If you'd like to come and be a part of our church, man, this is a great church. And it's a growing church, and we're excited about what God is doing. If you want to come and be a part of our church, we'd love to sit down with you and, and walk you through those steps as well. However God is challenging you today, this is your time to respond. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth found in Scripture today. Thank you for Jesus and his incredible example of how to have a great conversation that is focused on people. Lord, we confess that we mess up sometimes, and this political climate is so volatile, and it's easy to get um, in the trap of just arguing with people. But God, I believe there's a better way found in Scripture through Jesus' example of having a Christ-honoring and a Jesus-mimicking political conversation. So help us, God, today. Because, God, the truth is, is that after the election, all this stuff is going to continue. Politics is going to continue. 
but help us, God, to be a good example to others and how we communicate with them. God, however you're moving us today, God, uh, give us the strength to move right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.